Welcome to the OT Potential Podcast, where each week we review one influential OT-related article. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. It is great to have you with us today. We are excited because this is our 10th episode of the OT Potential Podcast. Thank you so much to all of you who have listened in and made this podcast a success. To celebrate our 10th episode, we're going to do something slightly different today. We're going to mix it up a bit. If you've been listening to the podcast, you probably know that we've been working our way through the 50 most influential OT-related articles. And we pulled those according to the number of times the articles had been cited by other articles, which is kind of a metric that people look at to see how influential a journal article is. So we pulled the most cited OT-related articles, and we have gone through the first nine of them. But the downside to doing it this way is that a lot of our articles are adult rehab-focused, and it's really my goal to... Uh, be incorporating evidence from all different practice areas. So today we are throwing in an extra bonus pediatric journal article. And since I am an adult rehab therapist, I've only worked in the adult setting, I really wanted to pull in a pediatric therapist to look at some research with me. So I'm really excited to introduce you all to Katie Caspero. She is an awesome therapist who loves research, loves working with kids. So I'm excited to introduce you all to her and dive into some pediatric research together. So welcome to the podcast, Katie. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. How is Pittsburgh treating you this morning? Pittsburgh's great. It's been very warm this weekend, but it cooled down and it's been very breezy. So we're appreciating that. Awesome. And we're recording this on a morning and Katie has the morning off and then we'll head in to your job this afternoon. And do you want to tell us just a little bit about what work you do and maybe how you got connected to OT Potential? Yeah, definitely. Um, So I'm a pediatric outpatient therapist, um, an OT. I got connected to the OT Potential Club um, when I was just looking for ways to um, find evidence for specifically for pediatric articles and things like that that I could easily access. And I thought that it was such a great way to be able to quickly find um, information and evidence for just daily treatment activities. Yeah, and so I got this email from... Katie, and I was so happy because as listeners know, or as you maybe know, I uh, have only worked in adult rehab. And so I'm always been looking for another pediatric therapist to kind of help me talk about research for that practice area. And so when Katie emailed me, um, I was very, very happy and excited uh, to have a partner in kind of reviewing pediatric stuff. So thanks for joining us today. And thank you for that initial email where we got connected. I guess let's dive right into the article. Yeah, sounds great. Okay. So Katie found this article for us. Do you want to tell people how you found the article? Yeah, for sure. Um, So I use the alert program 
pretty frequently throughout my week. So I just wanted to see if there were any evidence-based articles about it and kind of its effectiveness for certain populations or age groups or um, kind of what what the research said about it. So I found it through a uh, literature search, um, just kind of looking specifically at this program. And when you use the alert program, do you use it just with individuals or in a group setting? Uh, so I've done both. Um, I've done it individually, and then I've done it in a group setting, um, definitely more individually, uh, more recently. Okay. Yeah, that was one of the questions I had as I was reading the article was just wondering um, which one is more common to do it with individuals or in the group setting, because I can see either being or both having pros and cons for sure. So the title of our article for this week is A Critical Review of Research on the Alert Program. And this comes to us from the Journal of Occupational Therapy, Schools, and Early Intervention. And it was published in 2018. So this is the most recent article that we've looked at on the podcast. Um, And I also want to mention about the journal, the Journal of Occupational Therapy, Schools, and Early Intervention. Uh, This is probably the smallest journal that we've looked at on the podcast. It's obviously very specific. I think it is based out of England. And I tried to find an impact factor for the journal, and I actually couldn't find one. So again, that just tells me that this is a small journal and looking at something very specific. And just because it's small doesn't mean that the research isn't valuable to us. It just means that probably takes the extra digging that Katie did to find the articles from it. So I'll let Katie do an overview of the article for us. Yeah. Um, so this article um, looked at the ALERT program, which is designed for a 12-week self-regulation curriculum. Um, it helps students be able to understand kind of the basic sensory integration uh, techniques related to their arousal level or their alert states. It helps them be able to monitor themselves, uh, maintain their level of arousal, and then change it depending on what's going on. If you've ever heard the phrase, how does your engine run? You know, when someone was asking a child that, uh, this is the program that invented it. So the alert program has been in schools, clinics, research studies, and home settings. Um, It's actually proposed to be one of the most frequently utilized interventions by OTs. However, there hasn't been any evidence compiled before this. Um, So this is a systematic review evaluating the strength of the ALERT program for how effective it was, how feasible it is to implement, and how appropriate appropriate it is for individuals with any sort of self-regulation deficits. The authors um, concluded at the end of this study that the ALERT program is strong to promising using the ESEA guidelines, indicating that it might be something that would be feasible for people to implement and it it could be a universal self-regulation intervention for school settings specifically. Um, And it can be sustained by teachers depending on the target population and setting. Just to clarify, the ESEA is the Elementary and Secondary Education Act guidelines, which look at interventions in school-based settings and how much evidence they have for implementation. 
Yeah, so I was, as I was reading, I really got the sense that just like in the hospital setting, there is the push for evidence-based interventions in the school setting too, and that this is an organization that helps look at that. The yeah, ESEA. definitely. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're definitely more um, kind of focusing on making sure that what interventions are in the schools are actually working and that their data shows that. So mm-hmm. they're, that, I think this is a result of that yeah. this guideline. So that was obviously great news for OTs everywhere to see that this article said that the ALERT program is has strong to promising evidence uh, since it is a widely used program. I wanted to add too that they found six different articles that they kind of reviewed. So there had been studies before about it, uh, several randomized controlled trials. But this was the first one that kind of compiled everything together. So, yeah, exciting to see all of that evidence coming together and that it is in favor of this treatment. I wanted to give some more details about the study, starting with the diagnoses of the children that were included. I'll just kind of read these off for us. The studies that this article looked at included children with social disadvantages, children with emotional disturbances, fetal alcohol syndrome, children with psychosocial and speech therapy needs, and typically developing children. Uh, The improvements that were identified after completing the ALERT program included classroom behavior, self-regulation, teacher understanding of self-regulation, emotional control, planning and organization, inhibition, and overall executive functioning. And specifically uh, for children with fetal alcohol syndrome disorder, I think there were two studies that looked at that. Mm -hmm. Um, They found improvements in response inhibition, outcome monitoring, emotional regulation, and teachers' understanding of challenging behaviors and effective strategies for classroom use of the program. So Katie, what were your key takeaways after reading this article? Yeah, well, I, um, since I work in the outpatient setting, it was cool. It seemed like it was mostly focused on schools. Um, But what I found was that in the article, it stated, you know, completing all three stages and mile markers, which is how they kind of measure each kind of week or um, moving through the curriculum as described in the manual including all 12 weeks is essential. And then some parent and teacher training with like being able to include them in the training as well as making modifications with the parents and the teachers, depending on the kids. So kind of individualizing it can improve the intervention consistency. So kind of the combination of the going through the program as well as, you know, making modifications with kind of in collaboration with the parent and teacher is you, you know, ascent is effective and can also improve intervention. So um, this showed me that, you know, with working with the parents or work, uh, especially in our setting of an outpatient uh, facility, that um, that can actually be even more helpful. And then also that, you know, no matter how many caregivers are involved, whether it's mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, you know, they should all be aware and using the strategies kind of consistently across the board for it to be effective. You know, if it's just happening in school, if it's just happening, you know, in one one moment of the day, it's not going to be as effective. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was one of my takeaways too, was just how important the caregivers being aware of the program was. And that's probably a big factor in what makes it an effective program is the support that the kids receive outside of the sessions that you're doing as well. Definitely. Yep. It kind of um, speaks to, you know, it's always great to collaborate and that's going to be, you know, your biggest tool with um, this program is to really communicate well, make sure everybody's on the same page. Yeah. So for people who are listening to this podcast and maybe aren't using the alert program now, how did you get started using it? And how would you maybe recommend someone get started with it? Yeah, I think it helped that my company had the manual already um, and kind of had the resources available. So I think that's definitely the first step. But there are so many resources online, including I feel like Pinterest has a lot of great ways to kind of build off of that. So kind of craft ideas or um, different strategies, because the strategies can just be so like exponential, like almost overwhelming how many there are. So it's kind of... um, It allows you to be a little creative with how you actually engage the child with learning. They call them like tools for their hands. So things to fidget with or tools for their body, you know, ways to move. So it gives you some more ideas when you kind of look past the manual. Um, There's a lot of people who have been doing a lot of cool things. Uh, But yeah, I definitely feel like when you stick to the uh, week after week, you know, really trying to move them through the curriculum. I've seen the most success with that versus kind of just doing it maybe once or twice. Yeah. And I remember one of the final things that the article said was that the need for future research is really around catering to the specific populations that this program can help. And have you found that when you're working with different populations that you adjusted a lot Or do you kind of have a standard rhythm that you go through? Yeah, I think I've actually done it with kids as young as five years old. Um, And that kind of is definitely not when the research is definitely focused on kind of those eight to 12 year old kids, I feel like was Mm -hmm. the main, most popular um, timeline. And that's definitely when it's most effective, but you really can adapt it as needed, especially if those kids are kind of intuitive, they tend to get it right away if they're going to get it, those younger kids. And especially if they have a really, <laughs> they enjoy learning about engines and cars. Yes. Um, if they are, they have that kind of hyper-focused interest, they'll, you, you can kind of get them that way. Um, but yeah, I think that definitely, you know, from a language standpoint, it can be challenging if the mm. kiddo is not, you know, doesn't have as many words or isn't as receptively um, understanding. Um, you really have to use a more visual supports or collaborate with your speech therapist. Um or if they have, you know, if they're typically developing kids, sometimes it can be boring or, you know, not fun. So you have to kind of be a little bit more uh, cater to their interest and make the characters, you know, based on a movie they've seen recently, you know, this character is really gets, you know, really high mm. engine. This character gets really low, has a low engine and kind of um, adjust it based on their, their uh, motivations and interests mm-hmm. too. I feel like all the kids that, in movies that my kids like have very um, high engines. <laughs> yes, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes we don't talk about a low yes, engine. Yes, yes. Just, just right to high. Yeah, yes. Like not an option or not present at all. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, cool. This was such a fun article to look at, and I'm so thankful that you found it for us. Um, there is obviously so much that we could talk about um, about this program and about this uh, awesome article, but we'll wrap it up in the podcast for today. But if you have, if you as a listener have thoughts or questions um, or things that work really well for you with the alert program, we would love uh, to discuss those things with you in the OT Potential Club forum. We'll have the written review posted. There are some um, additional things that we put together about the limitations of the study and the assessments used that will also be posted in the club. But for now, Katie, thank you for joining us today. I hope that the rest of your day goes awesome. And hopefully we'll have you back on again to talk about pediatric research with us again. Yeah, it was a blast. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So that concludes our article review for the week. Again, I am just so grateful to Katie for jumping in here and going through that research with us. Like I said before, we'll be discussing this article more in the OT Potential Club. You can sign up or sign in to the OT Potential Club at otpotential.com. If signing up for the club isn't your thing, that is totally fine. Thank you so much to tuning in to this podcast today. Thank you to those of you who have subscribed and left reviews. And it has been a really fun first 10 episodes with you all. I hope you all have a great week this week and give great care. <laughs>